technology. So um, Mark stepped away for that short time, a couple years. Uh, three years. Three years, that long. And then came back to us uh, and said, I'm, I'm ready to get back in the game. And we're like, come on in. You know, we could really use you. So he came back to us and became an elder again. So Mark Drinker. Yeah. yeah. Um, hello. Uh, like he said, I'm Mark. Uh, my wife is Sarah, and uh, you may have heard of her or, or communicated with her already. She's administrative assistant here at NCC. So, uh, and then we have three kids. One is in college, Lucy. She's uh, 20. And then um, uh, the boys are 16 and 15, Nate and Cole. They're at Parkway South High School. And... Uh, Let's see, so let me tell you my spiritual story. Um, I grew up in a, I grew up in Texas, Corpus Christi. It's a um, kind of a oil and gas uh, military retirement community uh, down in Texas, and um, it's on the coast there. And I, uh, let's see, I grew up in a, um, what I would call a uh, mainline Protestant denomination home. We went to church sporadically, so I knew the story of Jesus, but I didn't really know the gospel. I didn't really hear the gospel until I was a teenager. Um, my father, who had professed Christ at a young age, um, started to uh, feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and decided that we were going to start going to a church that preached the Bible. So uh, I finally heard the gospel when I was 15, 16, around that time. And uh, started going to youth group and uh, heard the word repeatedly there. And um, so I came to faith uh, when I was 16 years old. Um, so kind of a realization that, okay, I know this story that Jesus died for sins, but here's a connecting that with the fact that I need a savior. My sins needed to be paid for. And so uh, that's when I came to, to give my life to Christ there uh, when I was 16. And um, let's see, so since then I went to Texas A&M, and uh, that's where I met my wife, and I uh, got an accounting degree there, and I started in, uh, working in business uh, there in Texas, in Fort Worth, Texas, for a while, Dallas and Fort Worth. And then um, about 2000, yeah, 2007 is when uh, my wife and I were getting ready to settle down and buy a house and all this, and... She actually, um, right out of college, we'd broken up for a while. She had moved up to St. Louis for a year. And so um, we were married and living back in Texas. But we were like, well, you know, we're going to settle down and buy a house and all this kind of stuff. Should we uh, do this here or look in another area? We decided to look at St. Louis. And part of the reason for that was I had done some seminary when I was down in Texas. And um, DFW in particular had... Um, two big seminaries, you know, decent seminaries, and churches on every block, and so we were like, well, maybe we could be of more use in another area. So we started looking, and like, hey, you know, you're already familiar with the area, you already know St. Louis, we like the area, so we started looking. Then I got a job um, uh, at a real estate company here in St. Louis back in 2007, and uh, that's when we found the church, too. We joined in 2008, so we've been here quite a while. Um, raised our kids here in this church, uh, here in Baldwin. Um, and again, they've, they've been going to school here and all that. So uh, Lucy's now 
off. She's at um, Cedarville University in Ohio. And uh, as he said, I've been continuing my theological education off and on. Uh, and then I'm doing the PhD now. So I'm now in uh, dissertation writing phase, or almost dissertation writing phase. I'm not supposed to start yet, but I've already started. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm about 10 pages in. It's got to be at least 200, so I've got a ways to go. But, um, uh, but that's what I'm doing right now. And um, uh, my, again, my wife, Sarah, and our kids, Lucy, Nate, and Cole, we all have four letters in our names. That's easy to remember. And... Um, Let's see, what else? Um, I, uh, what do I do here? I'm the elder in charge of uh, youth ministry, student ministry is what we call it here. So we have a, a high school ministry and a middle school ministry. So if you have kids that are in that age, age group, I'm happy to talk to you about that. Um, we kind of meet here on Wednesday nights uh, for our weekly you know, gathering. And then, of course, the, the kids are in the, in the tent in the second hour. Normally, the, the middle school is... Um, off on a retreat this week, so there's no surprise <coughs> uh, this morning for those guys. But uh, any questions? Tell us about Cole. Cole is my youngest, and he is. Um, we when he was one years old, he's 15 now. When he was one years old, uh, we adopted him from India. So um, you know, he's a very outgoing, uh, very friendly kid. So you may see him around talking to people. Very. He's like five two, five three, you know, probably like ninety pounds, so a little little dude. Uh, but he would love to talk to you about anything you want to talk about. Um, Cardinals. Cardinals. He loves Cardinals, Blues, anything sports related. So um, that may be what he, that's what he's interested in doing is sports, sports business of some kind. So um, yeah, that's Cole. He's had him. Uh, my other two children are biological, but we adopted Cole. Um, when was that? Two thousand nine. Um, yeah, he was born in 08, we adopted him in 2009. We're actually, uh, <coughs> we've been planning on it for several years. We were going to go uh, in 2020, and then COVID happened, but um, I'm going to take Cole back for kind of like a heritage, you know, trip. We'll go back for a week and see things in Delhi and Calcutta <coughs> and all those things. So uh, that's going to be this December. So. so looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it more than him, you know. Gotta be away from my friends. <laughs> he's uh, he's kind of a very typical American teenager. So. Uh, any, any questions for me? And what does Sarah do here? Sarah's the administrative assistant. She's part time administrative assistant, but she yeah, she's uh, very helpful, right? I mean, she's, very. <laughs> she, she can answer pretty much any question you have. So. Um, person to know. Yeah. When did you get baptized? I got baptized um, when I was 17. So a year after I came to faith. Yeah. Back, uh, my youth minister did it back, uh, back in Corpus. Yep. Yeah. Great question. Uh, anybody else? What, uh, what are you currently me? doing in church? <clears throat> in church? Yeah. Uh, well, there's youth ministry. So I'm the elder over youth ministry. That's my main function. Um, I also am uh, teaching right now. I'll be in this <coughs> class the second hour, uh, teaching through um, the Old Testament. So today I'm teaching Job. So that's uh, <laughs> going to go through the whole book of Job today. So that's a <coughs> challenge. Um, but uh, yeah, we just did Psalms in two weeks. So that was even harder. Um, 
but uh, I did like 72 chapters, 72 songs one week and 78 the other week, something like that. So, yeah. It's not rich. <laughs> no, it's the opposite of that. We're not, uh, <laughs> we're not, doing, we're not doing any real exegesis. It's just, you know, high level, how, how do you read the Old Testament kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's really the, the surface of it. Uh, what else am I doing? church, um, just here and there, whatever's needed. I'm uh, excited to get the dissertation done. I'm, I love writing it, but I'm also excited to get it done, because that means I'll yeah, have uh, more availability to do more. So. What is it? What's that? Your dissertation. Uh, the dissertation is, um, I'm, I'm dealing with the question of what is the theological result of the fourfold gospel. So this idea that, okay, the second century church um, kind of recognized four Gospels in this order, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, what's the theological result of that? Um, and, you know, of course, there's multiple implications, like, well, you know, if Mark was written first, why did the church continue to keep Mark in the, you know, because Matthew used Mark, and as, you know, many might argue, well, Matthew's just Mark, but expanded, so why didn't Mark just go away? You know, these kind of questions that come up out from Okay, what's the theological result of all four of these collected together? And Irenaeus, who's a second century um, church father, he actually, when he's referring to the fourfold gospel, he's just referring to it as gospel. The gospel says this, the gospel says that. He's referring to the collection of the four. So it's like, well, kind of picking up on that. What is what is the theological result of reading the four of these together? So that's what I'll be writing about for over 200 pages. <laughs> Something you want to take with you on a cruise and just lightly read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, so we have a youth minister, Drew, who uh, you may be familiar with, um, and he he does all the uh, you know day to day functions of the youth ministry. He teaches on Wednesday nights. He teaches Sunday mornings often. Um, He'll plan the retreats and all of that, but I meet with him regularly, and uh, you know, kind of you know, we bounce ideas off each other and things like that. And then I also um, kind of invest in the leaders. We have how many volunteer leaders? Uh, something like twenty volunteer leaders, uh, members of the church, who are all background checked and all that, but also vetted by us. Um, and uh, so I just invest in them, um, meet with them, talk with them on a regular basis about uh, different things there dealing with with their um, you know particular groups um, so Wednesday nights Drew will teach a larger uh, sermon to the middle schoolers to the high schoolers and then they kind of by age group kind of divide up guy groups girl groups and so uh, these leaders kind of really we, we want them to really invest in their lives share with the, the kids the gospel on a regular basis right not just the basic presentation of the gospel but how does the gospel their lives on a regular basis, relationships with parents and other teens and, um, you know, other things like uh, things they're dealing with at school or, you know, challenges that they might have, like depression, anxiety, things like that. So we uh, try to help the, the leaders kind of speak to those issues. So, yeah. What's your goal after you get your PhD? Uh, good question. Uh, I do not want to be like a full-time uh, professor, because I, um, uh, most of the full-time professors um, have 
like uh, certain capabilities in multiple uh, fields. So my, my uh, specialty is biblical theology and hermeneutics. That's really what my emphasis is for the PhD. But I really don't have enough of an interest or knowledge base for to teach other <coughs> things like historical theology and systematic theology and things like that. So I think I will probably teach, but more on an adjunct basis. Um, you know, the kind of the way the world now is online teaching and, you know, pastors are getting degrees in all kinds of different ways. And so they'll come to these extension centers or um, just do their degrees entirely online. So there's a real need for that kind of thing. So that's probably what I'll do is just teach those couple things, biblical theology, hermeneutics, but uh, on an adjunct basis. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, you know, Long term, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll uh, go into more vocational ministry as opposed to accounting at some point. But um, as far as specifically the PhD, that's what I want to use it for. So. Anybody else? Well, uh, I'm happy to talk with any of you individually. If you just come up and say hi, and we'll get to know each other. So, but I'm and I, I uh, can answer questions. My wife is with me. I'm typically going to just turn to her because she knows everything. Yeah. Call him the brains of the operation. <laughs> you know, he's uh, oh, such a wonderful asset uh, in so many ways. So appreciate him. We are. Polar opposites, personality-wise, uh, Mark and I, and it's a, it's kind of fun to see the various personalities on the elder board and how we still gel. Um, it's just such a joy to have um, a camaraderie with those four other men, um, and we're so different, you know, which is good, um, because we bring different perspectives to any of the decisions that we have to make that are very helpful. Jerry Marshall once told me when our uh, elder board wasn't functioning very well, there was some real conflict that's all been eliminated <laughs> a long time ago, but he once told me, just, just wait, you'll see how this works. Uh, the plurality, God is so wise, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, so wise in making a plurality of elders because no one has a monopoly on wisdom. And uh, bringing all those groups together, those men together, to come up with a consensus and a, a decision is, it's beautiful to behold. Uh, when there's humility injected into uh, wisdom, <clears throat> it's a joy. <clears throat> it really is. Okay, well, um, I, I, I trust Bruce, uh, he said he enjoyed himself, so thank you. <laughs> He's such a great guy. He's another one too. He's, uh, Bruce is also, he went to Covenant um, uh, Seminary and he got a, a master's, um, I'm not sure what it was in, biblical studies, I'm not sure. And uh, so he brings also an element to the um, elder board that's just so wonderful. Uh, I love these men. Um, I hope you see that. There is a, a love between the five of us. We don't always agree. There have been times when we don't agree, but we, we deeply love each other and care about each other, and I think that's huge in a church that at the top where the elders are making decisions 
there is a respect and a love for each other. I'm, I'm grateful for it, very grateful for it. I call these men some of my dearest friends. In fact, went on vacation with Jeremiah. Um, so that's, how, you know, when you vacation with somebody, you know they're good friends, right? Um, and we'd like to do that with all of them uh, eventually. So we'll see how that goes. All right, so I, uh, tonight, or today rather, we're talking about a commitment to being led. Um, I know last week Bruce covered um, a couple more items on doctrine. Um, uh, I love talking about uh, uh, one of the things he talked about last week, I think, was gender and marriage, right? He hit those before he went into uh, dealing with sin in the church and dealing with sin in our own lives. Am I right? Have I seen anything? Yes. Okay, good. Um, one thing I would say to all of us, we know what's happening in our culture today in terms of um, people being confused about gender is how important it is in this culture especially, uh, myself as a grandfather, um, is to uh, constantly reaffirm in your children um, how God made them and that it's right that he made them the way they, that he made them. In other words, if it's a, a young boy, I am always affirming my young boys in their manliness and the young ladies in their femininity. I, I constantly reaffirm that because the culture is fighting you tooth and nail and telling your kids that they can be whatever they want, gender fluid. We're very sensitive here at the church about people that are dealing with this very subject uh, we have had in the past um, uh, parents deal with the transition of one of their kids and the heartache that that caused them. So uh, we are aware of that and we try to be very sensitive to that. At the same time, we're telling you all, please, please uh, continually reinforce in your children that God made them exactly the way he made them. He did not make a mistake. Uh, affirm that in them and that will help it will help uh, inoculate them against some of the propaganda that they're hearing um, but uh, we are again very sensitive to um, and that's not thinking yes it is Sorry. Um, we are very sensitive to that and if you are dealing with that in your own families um, we'll try to walk alongside you uh, in that process because it's it's not easy um, I know it's just not easy to do so uh, with that said we're going to move into a commitment to being led how are we led here um, we're going to talk about what is an elder um, and uh, I don't want to review everything that we've already done so I will just simply say that we are an elder rule church uh, by that I mean um, how many of you came from Southern Baptist backgrounds? Okay, in the Southern Baptist Church, my, my son is a Southern Baptist pastor as well. Um, there is more autonomy in those churches. Uh, he is reformed in his understanding of um, soteriology, how, how is one saved. He believes that God chooses, uh, but not all Baptist churches teach that. Some are adamantly opposed to that. But they also uh, have run their churches a little different. Um, they're more a congregational rule, elder run. We are elder rule, congregational input. 
So by elder rule, I mean we make the final decisions. Uh, we believe that's scriptural, and I'll try to give you a case for that uh, as we move on. Um, so what is an elder? Uh, elders are first referred to in the book of Acts, in Acts 11, 30. Uh, we read that the church in Antioch sends famine relief to Jerusalem, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. On all of his missionary journeys, Paul established new churches. He always appointed elders. Acts 14.23 reads, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord whom they, in whom they have believed. Elders are also known in Scripture as uh, overseers, shepherds, pastors. Uh, Jerry used to joke, uh, I would prefer you all call me the right Reverend Jerry Marshall. Uh, you know, just playing. Um, very funny man. Uh, has he been in here yet? No, I, I think I have him scheduled for the next couple of weeks, so I, I hope. I, and Drew is going to be in here too, the youth pastor. Um, elders are to protect, feed, lead, and care for those whom Christ has entrusted to us in this local body. This is an awesome responsibility, and we understand that we will be judged by our great shepherd, uh, Jesus Christ. Just reading that sentence produces... Fear in my heart, we will be judged, we will give an account. It was one of the reasons I quoted uh, Hebrews 13, 17 to you guys at the very beginning. Why do, we, um, why do we push membership? Because we need to know who we're accountable to God for. And if people are moving in and out of the church, as many do, we have uh, regular attenders, we have sporadic attenders. We don't, they have not yet committed to us. So we, we feel that membership is the vehicle through which we can know who are we going to answer to God for. Uh, and that's the ones who have committed to us and we to them. So uh, the purpose of elders is to protect, feed, lead, care for those whom Christ has entrusted to us. Um, please, please, please pray for us. Um, when people come to me and say, hey, I prayed for you guys this week, that's just... It's so comforting to me to know that our folks are doing that. They're praying for us because we have some difficult things. I got a text just this morning. One of our members um, is having to hop in a car and head out of, out of town because his sister um, committed suicide last night, yesterday. Uh, you know, those things are heavy things that, that weigh on, on people and on us. It's just one of many things that are occurring. So... You know, we need your prayers. We desperately need your prayers. We're all inadequate for this task. Uh, we are all inadequate for it. We, I think I told you the, when I gave my testimony, it was my son who said, Dad, get over yourself. You are inadequate. Yeah, because I kept saying no, 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 no to being an elder. He said, you are inadequate. Christ is your adequacy. Uh, depend on him. You're in a good spot. I thought, that's ah, my son telling me what I need to hear. Um, so we are inadequate and therefore we need the enabling of Christ and we need your prayers. So please, as you think of us, uh, pray for us. We would appreciate that very much. Um, it's important to note that every time an elder is addressed in the New Testament, it is always done in plural, uh, which means each church had more than one elder and the reason for that is protection. Nobody has a monopoly on wisdom. We get that. Right now we have five elders. Um, Rich, uh, Gregory, senior pastor. Mark, you just met. Bruce last week, myself, and then Jeremiah Kerber, you met a couple weeks ago as well. 
um, and Jerry Marshall, our founding pastor, stepped away from the elder board when our new pastor, Rich, came on. Uh, he graciously stepped aside. It's been a wonderful thing to behold, too, by the way, just so you know. It's uh, um, watching Jerry and Rich interact has been so settling to our church. You know, there's always a little concern about when the senior pastor, the, the, felt, the guy who founded the church, steps away. What's that going to mean? Is he going to have his tentacles and everything? Is he going to want to control everything? Nope. Once Jerry realized, <coughs> all right, I've got a good man um, taking over, I can step away. And uh, he did. Um, he did. And it's just, um, in my mind, his legacy is only increasing by the way he has responded uh, to Rich, a much younger man coming in. Uh, Rich leans on Jerry, asks him <coughs> questions. Uh, you know, when he needs his help, he pursues his help. Uh, but to watch these two interact has been an absolute joy. Okay, well, we're going to talk about elders first and then deacons. How do the elders lead? Well, let me... Um, I've already mentioned Southern Baptists and how you, how you know that that's congregational rule, meaning... Uh, and you've been in these meetings. Um, I think my son says they have them once a month where they gather as members and they vote on various things. So the elders will bring things to them and then they'll vote. And it's typically majority rule. Is that the way it was in your... Sometimes they go with two-thirds, but typically it's majority rule. Um, and at New Community Church, uh, we believe the Bible teaches that elder sh elders should be the rulers... I don't, that sounds terrible, not, we're not dictators, but with, with congregational input. So we're not foolish in thinking that we couldn't get really sound advice from our members. We currently have a group of guys who are familiar with real estate and other uh, business savvy, and we've got them looking around the area, thinking out of the box as to, as to where we might go to accommodate the people that God has been bringing to us. And so we're not, we're not sitting there going, we got it all. We don't. We know that. So um, we do reach out to others that we know have expertise in areas where we don't. I just want you to know that. Um, so we are elder rule with congregational input. The elders make the decisions, but, but we certainly seek the counsel of others. Um, and it's extremely important that since we are the ones making the major decisions that the elders are biblically qualified to be in a leadership position because, and some of you might know this from sad experience, as the leadership goes, so goes the church. Uh, I think I mentioned in my first <clears throat> meeting when I told you about my life, if I didn't, I'll tell you now, uh, I came from a church that had extremely dysfunctional leadership. Uh, immorality permeated it, and it just affected the entire church. So if the, if the leadership is not qualified biblically, um, it really finds its, its way into the whole church, and uh, it was not a good experience for me. It really hurt us, hurt my whole family. Um, so how do we make decisions? Well, our primary objective in making decisions is to achieve a unity of the Spirit. And by that I mean it's achieved by the Holy Spirit, informed by the Word, and pursued through prayer. In all of our decisions, we seek unanimity. 
but on occasion, an elder may defer to the majority. It's happened, happened during COVID. We had some varying views about whether or not we should be more open or not open, masks, no masks. As Jeremiah once said, you know, I never took a class in seminary on pandemics. They just didn't offer that. So we were all kind of just trying to figure it out, as was every other church. This was brand new. You know, worldwide disease going on. What do we do as a church? How do we respond? And so there was differences on the elder board. But when there was, when it was like four to one or whatever, the guy who was in the one would defer to the others. Um, we've all had to do that at certain points. We say, well, I trust you men. Uh, I will not hold to this view. Now, if it's a conscience issue, that's different. That's different. And then the person who has that conscience, strong conscious feeling about something, they may have to step away from the elder board and say, I can't do that. I just can't make that decision. Uh, that's never happened, but it could happen, and we understand that. So we're never going to tell somebody to do something against their conscience. But typically, we do come to a unanimity. We agree. The five of us usually agree on almost every major decision. But on occasion, such as COVID, we have had to defer uh, to, to one another. So um, let's see. How does a man become an elder? Uh, scripture gives evidence of the first elders being appointed by the founders of the church. And by this example, the existing board of elders of the church will be responsible for the process of selection of elders. It is the responsibility of the congregation to affirm the qualifications stated in, and this is where we draw um, our qualifications for the elder. They must meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Titus 1, 5 through 9, and 1 Peter 1, 5 through 3. And there are other things we pull from, but primarily those passages, and we'll go through some of those qualifications in just a bit. All right, some of the other qualifications for an elder, uh, the biblical qualifications listed in the passages we just mentioned, we will go through those in just a minute, but also they must believe and hold to the stated doctrinal positions of the church. It would be kind of foolish for us to bring somebody on who has very differing views uh, doctrinally than we do. Um, that just would not be good for the... Uh, unity of the, of the leadership. It just would not be good. Doesn't mean we can't differ on some things. Uh, we talked about the first, second, and third tier doctrinal issues. If a guy has a little differing view on eschatology, the end times, well, that's not going to keep him from being an elder. Um, we, we can figure all that out. But some of the major ones, of course, um, we, we would, it would be foolish for us to bring that person on. Um, so, also, uh, they must be a member at NCC for at least a year, preferably more. Uh, the more, the better, the reason being trust. Uh, it takes a while for people to say, yeah, I trust that guy. Uh, I've, 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 I've seen him. I've watched him interact with his family for 15 years. So that would be wonderful. In my case, it was 30, uh, almost 28 years when... I became an elder. People had watched me uh, go through all sorts of things and watched how I dealt with my family. So there was a level of trust there as there was for each of the guys who were here. Most of them had been here for many years. Um, and so trust was built. So membership for at least a year. They must be fully supportive of, of all existing ministries and committed to faithful attendance 
in Sunday, Sunday morning worship and equip classes. Of course, there's times when they can't, but we want to see, we want to set the example. Uh, we think it's important for us to be in those classes as well. I usually do um, interviews for, once we go through this process, and you guys have completed at least four or six classes, the next step is interviews, elder, elder interview. And so somebody has to do those, and that would be the elders. <laughs> and the only time we can do those is when we're not teaching. So um, sometimes I miss the equip classes, and I hate that. Uh, because I'm um, interviewing. Not that I don't love interviews, I do, but I do love sitting under the teaching of some of these other men, and I, I don't get to hear that, so I have to live stream it or listen to it uh, later. Okay, um, you must be currently serving in an exemplary manner in at least one ministry at NCC. Uh, when we slap a title on someone like elder or deacon, that's all we're doing, really. We're slapping a title on something they are already doing. So uh, if, if a person's a deacon and he's already been serving faithfully in so, all sorts of areas, we're just simply acknowledging and letting the people know that this guy's a servant. That's the word diakonos. He is a servant, and that's what we're calling him that. And the same with elder. That you you want to see these guys already doing the work of an elder, ministering in people's lives, teaching in some areas. You want to see that before you actually... Uh, apply that term to them. So they must be uh, supportive of those, of those ministries and currently serving. Um, then they are to be affirmed by the congregation during, during at least a one-month review in which commendations or concerns can be raised to the prospective elder first and then to the active elders as appropriate. If there are no serious or disqualifying Concerns raised during the congregational review, then the prospective elder will be installed as an active elder. Um, we are <clears throat> headed down to Dallas, the five of us, um, just for an overnight to spend time with a church that um, we have gleaned wisdom from as to how they determine who their elders are. Um, and they have a little bit different of approach than we have had, and so we're looking forward to that. But we are always actively looking for men in the church who have an ability to teach and whose, whose lives fit those qualifications of character. Um, because as I said before, as the leadership goes, so goes the church. So if they're disqualified character-wise or they can't teach, then we cannot make them an elder. And they have to aspire to it. They want to do it. They really do love the people of New Community Church. Yes? So do some of these elders, do, the, do they come up and ask to be an elder? I'm yeah. Like, I'm writing down what you're saying. Or is it that you seek them out? Well, um, when I became an elder, they had asked me a number of times prior to that. And I said no. And it got to the point where I had said no so, so many times. They stopped asking. So when, when I, I thought, you know what, I'm retired, I have the capacity, I'm, I'm not so old that I can't think clearly anymore, and I've always told them, if you ever see me drooling, it's time to kick me out the, out the door, and, you know, and uh, uh, I came to them, and I simply said, guys, if you're still interested in having me as an elder, I'm interested in serving. Typically, we have people come to us and say, hey, have you considered so-and-so? Have you thought about him? Uh, I think they'd make a good elder. Um, and, you know, that not, some people come with, you know, because they like their personality or something, so we have to be very careful. But if you, if you see people that you have interacted with and thought, 
it seems like they fit all the qualifications. Ask them. Are you interested in being an elder? I had a number of people ask me. Are you interested in me? I said, no, not at this time. My family um, needs me too much right now. I just couldn't take the time to do that. Um, so, yeah, if you, if you see that. Is it common that an elder will actually come up to the elder committee and say, I think I would be a really good elder? Well, they would probably come to one of us first, you know, just okay. pull us so aside. Is a common thing? Not common. Okay. It's not so common. Yeah, it's other people going to them and saying, what about so-and-so? Now, we haven't done this in a while, but Jerry used to preach on, on the qualifications for an elder every single year. He'd spend the first four weeks of January and go through the layout, uh, all the qualifications of an elder. And then at the end of it, he would say, if you see men in this church that you think are qualified in this, go ask them. Ask them. And if they say yes, then you can bring it to the elders or that you can say, hey, go tell the elders that you're interested. And we would go through the process of vetting. And uh, we do, we are aware of um, probably more than most people of people that are qualified or not qualified. Um, but when more people come to us and say, what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? What about, and the same person's name keeps coming up. Well, we're going to take that really seriously. Uh, so that's how we do that. But it is, they are vetted by us. Do you keep it at five or? No, no, no. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Yeah, it is. No, the five, no, it could be 20. Oh, I'd love for it to be 20. Um, I really would. It's just, uh, we, we just have to be really careful. And it's, um, we try really hard not to present the idea, you know, just the five of us and that's it. We're not, no, our doors are wide open. Uh, if we see men that God has raised up in our church, we're going to tap them on the shoulder and say, have you thought about this? And we've done that. And they've said, no, not at this time, as I did for many years. Uh, Bruce came to us uh, during COVID. Uh, actually, just, just be no, it was, I think, right around COVID. And, uh, and said, I'm interested if you guys are interested in having me. And I'm like, man, Bruce, that's, a, that's fantastic. So um, he went through the vetting process, and it's kind of rigorous, actually, but, um, but you know, taking tests and all that. And, and, and uh, we try really hard to vet each guy. Uh, yes, Tina? Um, is it ever common that you have an uh, elder have a previous job? Like, would a deacon finally say, well, I've been a deacon now for so many years. I'd oh. really like to be an elder. Yeah, no, that could absolutely happen. Okay. In fact, we see some of those deacons right now as definite elder material. Um, they wouldn't see themselves as that, that way now, but we'll want to see them, um, their ability to teach, because that's the one distinction, we'll talk about that, between the deacon and the elder is uh, able to teach. And if the person isn't able to teach in a way that, that people clearly understand, it, they get glassy-eyed and go, I have no idea what he just said. That's, that's an indication that they need work or they're just not qualified. Uh, all the other character qualities are the same between a deacon and an elder. Um, the only difference is, is ability to teach. Good questions. Anybody else? All right. Well, so that's the process. We, we, um, if we see someone, we will bring that name to you guys, and then you'll have a full month to say, uh, uh, I work with that guy. I know what he's like at work, and uh, they need to know that. We do need to know that, 
absolutely. That's why we, we put it out there. We've done the best we can to vet. Uh, Lynn and I went through, um, including my wife, she, uh, they, we, we talked to the wives, we talked to the family. We bring the whole family in and say, tell us about your home life. So we, we're careful about that. We try really, really hard to get men who are properly qualified. Um, and uh, so we see it as a lifetime appointment. Um, there are times for sabbaticals where guys have to step away um, for seasons of life. Maybe there's something going on in their home. They're having to deal with their child or something, and they say, guys, I need... I need about two or three months to just step away from the rigorous duties of being an elder to deal with things in my, in my home. We're like, go for it. That's far more important right now. So um, we do see it, though, as a lifetime appointment um, or <laughs> where we have to take sabbaticals. We've had two guys step away for health reasons, one for his wife's health reason, another for his, his own personal health reasons. And again, true, I'm a kid, but if I get to a point where I'm not thinking clearly, I am getting older, and that's a possibility, I do not want to damage the church by not thinking clearly. And so I, hopefully I'll have enough humility to say, guys, I think it's time for me to step aside and let a younger man take this uh, because I'm, I'm having a little trouble cognitively. Um, so, you know, just like... I'm not going there. <laughs> I know you. You were thinking so loud. <laughs> yeah, not that it's a problem ever. Uh, all right. Uh, but I, 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 I would hope that I would, I would do that, and as would the other guys. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the biblical qualifications. We don't have a a certain number, five. It's a, it can be ten, twenty. There is no number. It's just are they qualified? Are they qualified? And we do have a couple of guys in, in the pipeline right now that we're working with, but it's going to be a while. Um, so we are, we are trying, we really are, to, to bring on more men. As the church grows, we need more. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it can be very difficult. One thing I want you to know, too, I don't know if I... One of, the, one of the major reasons why pastors leave the ministry is burnout, Right? They just, it, the, ministry's hard. You're dealing with the underbelly of life. Um, like this young man who's having to travel to Pennsylvania because his sister committed suicide. There's some serious issues there uh, that he's going to have to deal with. And, and we're, we're helping him, hopefully coming alongside him, praying for him. Um, and that's, you, you, you know, you multiply that by 40 and a pastor just... This is really hard, much harder than I expected. Uh, my son only has two elders, and I kind of am, a, am a, uh, an elder off campus. Uh, so he calls me all the time, and we talk about things that he's experiencing, some of the difficulties <coughs> he's experiencing. One thing they don't have in their church that we have in our church, we offer all of our staff pastors sabbaticals. Have I told you this? It's the most unique thing. One of our other past elders, John Callen, came up with the idea. Every pastor I've ever shared this with has said, oh, I wish our church would do this. Uh, I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I really would like to see my own son's church start to do this, but he can't bring it up. So what we do is we, we say, for instance, to Rich and Michelle, uh, once every quarter, so one, one time every 12 or 13 weeks, um, 
you, you're going to get a little stipend, and you can take your wife and your family away overnight and not deal with anything in the church. Your wife will have something fun to look forward to because ministry for the wives is sometimes very difficult as well. And we want you to just enjoy yourself. Just have fun. Go relax. Get some of the ministry off your mind. And they all do it. Um, they all do it. So if you don't see one of the guys here, it's not, not, there's, only, there's three lay elders, two staff, Jeremiah and Rich. But we also do it for uh, Drew. We do it for Alex, uh, Master Renato. Um, uh, anybody else? Um, I think those four for sure. Um, and we give them this sabbatical. And uh, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. Um, it's one weekend a quarter. One weekend a quarter where we, get, we let them do whatever they want. Now, Rich came back. And I'm like, what are you doing here? He says, man, I love the people. I don't want to. He was sitting in the audience listening to the sermon, but we're like, you're supposed to not be here, you know. Uh, so it's, it's their choice, whatever they want to do. But um, I, I, yeah, when we told Rich that, he's like, seriously, that is wonderful. What a way to take care of your staff pastors. And again, every pastor I've ever told that to just go, oh, I wish. You know, especially for their wives' sake, because their wives bear the brunt of ministry as well. All right, so qualifications for an elder. He must be a man. Uh, why do we say that? In 1 Timothy 2, or rather, 1 Timothy 3, 1, that verse is best translated man uh, in the NASB for a number of reasons. It would be hard for a woman to be the husband of one wife, right? Uh, one woman man, or the head of a household, which certainly wasn't true in that day for anyone but, but men. Uh, that would be verse 5 and 6. And also, Paul just finished saying in chapter 2, verse 12, I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And he refers back to the creation order of Adam first and then Eve to make his point in verse 13. So it's not just um, cultural. He goes all the way back to creation to make that point. And elders are called to teach, and therefore they have to be men. Um, so number two, and that's controversial, I know, um, but we believe it's true. What the Bible says, we're going to follow. Um, we follow his order. Uh, that's what he says, so that's what we do. Uh, two, he must be above reproach, and that's an umbrella term. The rest of the character traits kind of fall under this umbrella. This refers to a man whose life has not been marred by some obvious sinful defect in character that would preclude him setting the highest standard for godly conduct. Obviously, this does not mean the man does not sin. Um, just talk to my wife. But that, that he takes his sin very seriously and deals with it, hopefully, immediately. Um, there are some sins that would disqualify him from being above reproach and therefore disqualify him from being an elder. And unfortunately, as you all know, if you've been in church for any length of time, sexual sin is all too frequently the, the disqualifying sin, right? Um, it was true in my previous church, which is why the next character trait is so important, um, and that is he must be the husband of one wife or a one and we, we, call, we say that, um, that it's best, better translated a one-woman man. This is not a status indication. This is a character indication. Is he devoted to his wife? Is that Because you can have a guy who's not divorced. I'm divorced. One of the other reasons why I 
um, was so reluctant to take the position of elder. I didn't want to be a stumbling block to anybody, but the church had watched me for 28 years and knew that I was devoted uh, singularly to my wife, Lynn, and they saw that, uh, and so the trust level was there when uh, they asked for me to be an elder. Um, so the, it's important that that man is seen as a man who is devoted to his wife. Um, he's not a flirt. Uh, he doesn't have wandering eyes. Um, and it's obvious to everybody that that's his commitment, his wife and her alone. Uh, obviously, as a, um, we have to be careful if a man's divorced, as I am, and we've had others on the board that have been divorced. We want to examine what the reasons were for that. Um, if he left his wife and married his current wife, uh, well, that would disqualify him. Um, but if he was left and uh, he had a biblical divorce, we'd want to know what happened there and examine that. And these guys have all done that with me uh, extensively. And so, again, it's a character issue, not a status issue. That's why we believe it's best translated a one-woman man. Okay, I think I can tell you with integrity that I, I am solely committed to Lynn. Um, I'm, I married up. <laughs> uh, I was single for seven years as a uh, single dad with five kids uh, when I met Lynn, and she took on my five. <laughs> I still shake my head. Um, and I took on her three. Um, and... And we're, we're both very grateful for each other. The older we get, the more we realize time is so, so very short. And uh, we don't want to waste it uh, doing stupid stuff. Um, we just want to love each other more and more as each day goes by. Um, so number four, sober-minded or temperate. This refers to a man who's alert, watchful, vigilant, clear-headed. Uh, he must be a leader who thinks clearly, which is why I said if I get to a point where I realize I'm losing it, I'm losing a step, uh, I will hopefully tell the guys it's time for me to step away and, and let a younger man take this. Uh, he's discerning. He must possess the inner strength to refrain from any excess that would dull his alertness. Uh, number five, self-controlled. This refers to a man who is well-disciplined and knows how to correctly order his priorities. Uh, he's a person who's serious about spiritual things. He views the world through God's eyes. Uh, the realities of the world is uh, realities. Uh, the reality that the world is lost, disobedient to God, and bound for hell leave little room for frivolity in the ministry. It doesn't mean we can't have a good sense of humor. I hope you guys have seen a little bit of mine. Um, we laugh a lot. I uh, laugh a lot at myself. Um, it doesn't mean we're humorless, but we do take eternal things very, very seriously. And the beauty of a good, deep friendship with a Christian is to be able to laugh, have fun, laugh at yourself, and on a dime turn up, talk about really important spiritual, deep spiritual things. We've seen that in, in intense relationships, friendships, where you can laugh out loud and just have so much fun and then talk about your aunt who's not saved and dying of cancer and pray for them right away. I mean, that's really, really important that you have that kind of attitude. Okay, we, we don't take ourselves very seriously, but we take God very seriously. Uh, that's, the, that's the difference. Respectable. This uh, self-controlled man has a respectable life because it is orderly. His well-disciplined mind leads to a well-disciplined life. He's, his life is not chaotic. 
uh, but orderly, and that's where we would talk to the men about their home life. How do they run their homes? Uh, hospitable. Uh, this word literally means to love strangers. The man's heart and home are open to all who come in need. Um, the man's life and home are open to those uh, to be, so that he can be open with them and they can see his true character manifest in the home. Uh, whether friend or stranger, he's willing to share what is his with others. Um, we just we want our guys, all of us, to open our homes to people we don't know well, but just have them over get to know them, or if somebody's in need, have them stay with us uh, if we can, if we can accommodate them. We just want, you just want to have a loose hand on your material things and, uh, and just allow God to use you uh, and be hospitable. Um, able to teach is number eight. This man must be a skilled teacher and able to convey biblical truth in an understandable way. Teaching and preaching are the primary tasks of an elder. Uh, Rich does, of course, the primary teaching. Jeremiah usually follows him. Alex is excellent as well. We have a pretty deep bench. Uh, if they tap me on the shoulder, it'd take me a couple of weeks to pull something together, but I'd do it. Um, but we do have a, a Jerry's right there too. Um, he must have a workable knowledge of the Bible. He must have strong courage and, a con and consistent convictions. Um, able to teach is a qualification not necessary for a deacon. I mentioned that earlier. It's the one distinction. So able, excuse me, able to teach is, a, is, is important. Um, so when we do consider men to be uh, elders, we want to sit in on an equipped class and hear them teach the Word of God. And if people are going, I have no idea what he just said, or they're going, oh, that is really good. I can apply that to my life. That's an indicator that this guy uh, is able to teach. Uh, number nine, not given to drunkenness. Uh, ESV says not a drunkard. Um, so you must not have a reputation as a drinker. This does not mean that a man who is an elder can't have an occasional glass of wine or a beer, none of which I like, so it's not an issue for me. My father was an alcoholic. I've stayed away from it uh, all my life, but I never drank because I enjoyed it. I drank just to get drunk. That's the only reason I drank in college. I held my nose and drank until I was drunk. So it's not an issue, but we don't require that. If a man wants to have an occasional beer or an occasional wine, it's okay. We would just say, be careful. Be careful. You could cause someone to stumble uh, who has a problem. Um, so I just want you to know that. Um, and there are indicators in the Bible where people did drink wine. Not as strong as the wine we have today, but they did drink wine. The, the people have asked me, especially the young folks, how far can I go drinking? All right. The question you should always ask when it deals with sin, you know, how far can I go before I violated God's standards, is not how far can I go, but how far away can I go from that sin? It's like saying, how close to the edge of the cliff can I get before I'm in danger? Well... The closer you get to the edge, you're in danger. You're in more danger the closer you get to the edge. So just step away. A friend of mine was being goofy with his wife. I knew him from high school. And he was like, hey, look at me. Look at me. And he slipped right over the edge. And they were at up. They were going, and he died. He died um, just being goofy. But that's a great illustration of how, what can happen if you're just you're playing along the edges. So when uh, somebody comes to me and says, how far can I go? How many drinks can I have? All I say to them is, the Bible says, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and the issue is self-control. So if you've reached a point where you're a little tipsy, you've lost the self-control thing there. You've lost it. 
Um, so for some guys, that's one beer. For some guys, that's two. And for some, three. I mean, it, it's not a problem. They don't, it hardly affects them. So each person is different, but I always say, um, if at all you're beginning to lose self-control, you've moved into sin. That's when it's become, become sinful. All right, so number 10, this is an interesting one. Uh, not a bully, <laughs> the New American Standard. He's not violent, um, but gentle. Um, a striker, I think one of the translations. Yeah, you, you don't want a guy on the elder board who's standing up going, come on. Come on, let's go. Let's settle this. Let's settle this like men, you know. No, you, that would not be a good look. So you don't want that. Um, a leader in the church must be one who reacts to difficulty never with physical violence. The word here literally means not a giver of blows or not a striker. Instead, the leader must be gentle, uh, considerate, forbearing, gracious. Uh, he does not keep a list of wrongs or hold grudges. So that's a kind of an obvious one, but there are men, I'm telling you, in leadership who are ready for a fight, and that's, that's disqualifying. Uh, number 11, not, qual- not quarrelsome or contentious. The word here means uh, peaceful or reluctant to, um, uh, means peaceful or reluctant to fight. It refers not so much to physical violence as to a quarrelsome person. Uh, always ready to, to argue. Uh, we all know people who are always ready to argue. We know it's so annoying. Amen? So annoying. You know, you say something and boom, they take the opposite. I, no, no, you don't want that, and especially on an elder board. Um, to have a contentious person in leadership just always moves us toward disunity and disharmony, and it would affect the, uh, uh, the whole elder team if that was the case. Somebody's always arguing. Not a lover of money. Uh, they must never be in it for the money, and that would eliminate almost every prosperity gospel teacher out there. Uh, it's all about the money, even though they might say otherwise. First um, uh, Timothy 6, Paul reminds his readers that godliness with contentment is great gain. I believe that's verse 6. Uh, he warns about what happens when someone loves money. And many preachers have fallen because of their greed. Um, the love of money. The Bible says um, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's in the same passage, First Timothy six. Um, it's not money. Money's neutral. It's the love of it that causes all sorts of issues. I say a, a great way to keep an open hand with your money is to give it away. And we're going to talk about that in verse in uh, next week and the following week. I forget which one, but about giving and why giving is so important. Number one, it's commanded, but number two, it helps you to keep a loose hand on your material things. Um, just uh, you know, allow God to use the money he's granted to you to benefit and bless others. We see that in this church all the time. We see it all the time. Um, the month of December, um, I, I, maybe I mentioned this, but man, you guys, just over and above and beyond. Uh, we, we told you we had met all our financial goals by uh, the end of November, and we said whatever's left over in December will be used uh, for two things. One, uh, we have some mission work that we had done, but the other would be put it in the bank for the building that God perhaps brings us to. And I, it was just an, We'll talk about that on February 2nd. By the way, February 2nd, Friday night. It's, a, it's this Friday, right? Yeah. yeah. 
um, baptism services, and we will talk about uh, some of the things that, is, that God has done in terms of finances here at the church. I hope you'll make it. The baptism service is so good. It's always good. So, yeah, I hope you'll be here. What time is baby service? It's in your app. What time is the service? I think it's probably 6 or 6.30. But if you look under events, uh, you'll see it. Uh, if anybody can do that now and just throw out what time that is on Friday, that'd be great. Um, so I, I really highly recommend you come. You'll be blessed. Um, so a lover of money, um, and it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you can't have a nice car. You can't have a nice home. It doesn't mean any of that. But it does mean that you're generous and hospitable with what God has given you. That's what it means. Are you willing to share? First Timothy six eighteen says, instruct. The rich in this world, not to give away all their money. He says to be generous. 6 p.m. 6 p.m.? Okay. To be generous. And that's the key. Are you generous with what God has given you, or do you cling to it? You hold on to it. Um, that's an indicator, perhaps, that, you're, that, God is, that money has become an idol. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You'll love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other cannot do both so uh, money's a real test for the character of a, of a man number 13 manage his household well and keep his children under control with all dignity um, so we watch and see we test um, how are they doing uh, we had a funny incident we had one of the deacons come in we do the same thing for deacons we had their family come in and we said look guys when your dad comes in just tell him Tell, tell us in front of him, oh, our lives are horrible at home. They're so bad. Oh, my gosh, we can't even. And, uh, and one of the girls just starts giggling. And I'm like, that, that won't sell him, that you're really sincere about this. She goes, oh, Dad, he's so bad. <laughs> she starts laughing. It was very funny. Mark knew we were kidding with him. Uh, I wouldn't have done it with anybody else. <clears throat> but we do care about how a man manages his own home. We really do. Um, is he an uh, autocratic dictator, um, my way or the highway? Or does he, does he say, this is the, what God says, and we expect you to obey that, and we will deal with you when you disobey that, but I'll hear what you have to say. Uh, we used to have family meetings, and I said, guys, in our family meeting, you can say whatever you want to say. You can bring up any grievance you want to bring up. But you must do it with respect. We'll listen, and we may say no, but we will listen as long as you do it with respect. And so we watch that in a man. Does he manage his household well? 14, uh, not a new convert uh, for obvious reasons. Um, it can cause great pride for a young man to be raised to that level of leadership. Not all. Some are really... They're equipped. Um, we got Ethan, who's now a deacon over the music ministry, and he is so mature for his age. Um, and it was clear all of us were in agreement. Uh, he can handle this. Um, but not all young people can. <clears throat> so we want to be careful about that. Uh, not a new convert. Not He's been around for a while. He's learned. He's not puffed up. He's not conceited. That kind of thing. Uh, 15, he must have a good reputation among those outside the church. Um, he must have a reputation in the community for righteousness, moral character, love, kindness, generosity, goodness, 
um, that kind of thing. A number of years ago, I was accused by a woman who told me that I told the boss that I had uh, sexually harassed her. It was, a, it was a lie. It was not true. And my boss made it a point to laugh at the postal inspector who was required to check that out, laugh out loud and say, I know Doug, he would never do that. And I was really grateful that she said that. But that's the kind of reputation you have to have outside the church as well so that people know when an accusation is brought, brought forward, is that true or not true? And uh, that's really, it's very important. Uh, number 16, I got here, lead by example, not by domineering over those in your care. It's not my way or the highway. Um, this one we pulled from 1 Peter 5, 3, the elder is not to sinfully dominate others or lord, lord it over them. <clears throat> he leads more by example, uh, not fiat, with occasional loving jabs for the wandering sheep, hence the term shepherd. Uh, and I do that across the table um, at a McDonald's restaurant. Often I'll, I'll say, look, this is an area of your life you really need to work on. Uh, but it's uh, with great love uh, that I say those things. Um, also, elder accountability. I, I think it's important for you to know that we do hold each other accountable. This month was uh, my month for Jeremiah. And um, so we talked about some things down in Cancun, as a matter of fact. Uh, and we ask each other, how's your marriage, how's your devotional life, and how's your moral purity? What are you looking at that you shouldn't be? Or if you are, how can we help you? Now, obviously, if a guy has a pornography issue, they can't be an elder. Um, but if a guy messes up one time or, yes, I, yeah, I did something I shouldn't have, we'll, we'll consider that and think about that. Um, but we are very careful among the five, and that's never happened, by the way. I just want you to know that, among the five. Um, and we talk to each other all the time. Um, we hold each other accountable. Every month we, we do that. I think it's important for you to know that because we want you guys to be doing it with yourselves. Um, we have uh, um, accountability groups, um, one for single men and one for married men, and this is what they do. They deal with each other's uh, purity because um, married men can do it just as much as a single man, and we really care about that in the church, and we care about it amongst ourselves as well. We try to foster um, a, an atmosphere of trans, uh, transparency. We really do. We want that to be uh, paramount in our church, that we are real people with real problems but fighting our sin. We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, okay. Um, the elders in a, in a church are serving at the bidding of the Lord of the church. Uh, we just want to honor Christ with our... Uh, attitudes, and we want you to do it as well. Um, uh, one of the ways you can honor the men that are, you're, asked, you're asked to be uh, in submission to is uh, not to grumble against them, not criticize them. Come to us personally if you have a, a problem. We welcome that. I think all of us welcome that. Um, but you're not to do that. Just uh, the gossip, the same thing we talked about in unity, it, gossip just destroys churches. Um, if we, I had a one young lady come to me and say, I heard you say this to somebody else. She was mistaken. She didn't hear me correctly, and I told her, no, this is what I said. I said, thank you for coming to me. You could have gone to five others before you came to me, and I appreciate that you came to me, and we cleared that up really quickly because now we're trying to put feathers back into a pillow when you've gone to talk to other people. Uh, so that was really helpful. Uh, we would ask that you not receive gossip. If somebody comes to you and starts talking to you about one of the elders, just say, why, am I, why are you talking to me? Why me? This is, 
what I think um, Bruce talked about last week, the order of church discipline, you go one-on-one if there's a problem, one-on-one first, and then you bring others in if the person doesn't listen. So if you have a problem, please come to us. We are, I think we are as open as you can possibly be as elders. Just come and talk to us, any one of us. We'll listen. How do you deal with a, a sinning elder? Uh, well, uh, you, 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 don't, you, don't, um, you don't assume everything that's brought against the elder is true. It has to be verified. Um, in 1 Peter 5, 9, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 5, 19 says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. This command protects an elder from spurious accusations, requires at least two or three witnesses to bring the charge. If that charge is proven to be true, it's been examined, as was the case in my old church. They brought that charge to the guy, and it was proven to be true that he was indeed a philanderer. Um, Then church discipline may be necessary, including removal from the office. As an elder, he no longer meets the qualifications and potential removal from the church if he's unrepentant. Um, and this, uh, that's the end of elders. Let me briefly turn to deacons. Everything I just said about deacon, uh, elders is true uh, for deacons except the ability to teach. They don't have to have that ability. But everything else is true. And it, it, let me just say this to, to you men especially. All of these qualifications should be qualifications of your lives. All of them. Um, so no one's exempt really from these things. They're things to aspire to, but all of you should be living like this uh, with these kind of quali- qualifications of elder character qualifications. They, they should be true for all of us. Um, okay, so same thing, um, except for teaching, the deacons are the same. Um, we, we appoint the deacon uh, we do the same thing as we do with elder. We bring it to you. How many of you have been here and heard, seen that process? Anybody? Okay. So you've seen that happen. We bring a name forward, and then we say, all right, you guys, you got, you got a month. Uh, go to them. Come to us. If you see any problems, tell us, um, and we'll, we'll deal with those things. So, and then, and then if that process continues that month, and at the end of that, we, we, we say to the congregation, he is now a deacon. And... Uh, yeah, so, and we have uh, a bunch more guys already. There's so many men here. They're such servants behind the scenes. It's such a joy to watch these guys serve, 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 serve. Um, and some of them serve uh, all the time. And I went to one of them and said, well, would you be interested in the deacon and, and, and being a deacon? He said, I don't, I don't need that title. I don't need it at all. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm, I'm like, all the more reason why we want you to be a deacon, you know, that's the kind of attitude you want. A uh, guy that's not looking to be exalted in any way, just wants to serve behind the scenes. And we have so many men and women that are like that. Okay, um, I think that's it. I just want to run through some of the uh, same thing uh, for a deacon, uh, must believe and hold to the primary doctrinal positions of the church, member at least a year, currently serving faithfully. Um, attending worship faithfully. Um, And again, they're selected by the elders, affirmed by the congregation. Um, And so what we would ask you, and this is my final thoughts, um, as members uh, are these. uh, Allow yourself to be led. Um, uh, 
don't assume the worst of our decisions. If you have a problem with a decision we've made, absolutely come to us and say, why did you guys do that? I, didn't, I don't know why you did that. We'll, we'll try the best we can to make our case. Um, so please come to us, but allow yourselves to be led. Hold us accountable. Um, if, if you see one of us caught in a sin, uh, it's your you are required to do something about that. And uh, come to us and then come to others if nobody listens. It's absolutely it's so important. Uh, and then finally, honor your elders. Elders are to be lovingly respected, financially supported by the church. I'm a lay elder. I don't get any money from the church, neither does Bruce, neither does Mark. But the staff pastors do, and we try our best to pay them well so that they, that is not on their plate. They're not wondering you know, whether or not they can make it on the salary we give them. We really do try hard to give our guys plenty of, of money to take care of those burdens and their, those needs. We want them to be able to raise their families. Uh, we did find out at one point one of our staff pastors was thinking about getting a, a second job to supplement his income because they had some things coming up in their family. We said, no, 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 no. No, we'll just, we'll help you out. We looked at all the aspects of his life and said, no, no, no. You just, we're going to raise that salary. Um, you, uh, we do not want you getting a second job. We want you fully devoted to what you're doing here. Um, and then I told you about the sabbaticals, which... <laughs> Every pastor I've ever talked to loves to hear and wishes they would do it. So uh, any, any questions that you have before I let you go? Yes, Christian. Between the, the elders and the congregation, is there any type of like committees, like a finance committee or I don't know, anything like that? Or yes, okay. yes. Um, there are committees um, uh, and uh, the elder, we are, we, the elders are each assigned to a ver various aspects of the church. Like um, Kevin uh, um, Garrett uh, is in charge of missions, and I am over Kevin. He answers to me. He brings things to me, and he and I talk about things, and we meet on a regular basis. Um, Bruce is over um, uh, security. So there are uh, these, these groups that meet, and then they answer to the elders. Uh, hopefully there's nothing that's happening that we are not at least aware of. We need to be aware of things. We're, we try to be very careful. Uh, women's ministry, men's ministry, all of that is subject to uh, the elders. Um, but, yeah, we have a lot of people doing a lot of work that we, we couldn't possibly do without them. We couldn't do it. Any other questions? Tina. Will you talk about women's ministry just with us being new and women in the church? Yeah. Uh, anytime, not now, but uh, not specifically, but I'll tell you quickly, women, uh, there are so many avenues for you to get plugged in. There are uh, Bible studies on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There's a Zoom Bible study for those of you that have trouble getting out. Um, there, there are plenty of opportunities for women to get plugged in. Michelle is actually uh, kind of leading that right now. Um, she's very busy too, uh, but she's wonderful. And if you have any questions about women's ministry, you can talk to Michelle. Uh, Lynn, um, she's involved uh, heavily in the women's ministry. So, yeah. Any other questions? Uh, you've been great. Let me let me pray and we'll wrap it up. Lord, thanks for this time, and uh, I do pray for Rich second hour that you'll help him get through this cough and um, give him some relief and clarity of mind. Um, and thank you for these uh, wonderful folks who are here examining us to see if this is the place they want to park their families. Um, we thank you for uh, bringing them to us. 
pray that you'll give them clarity of thought as they make these very difficult and sometimes, uh, well, most important decisions about where they're going to be um, in church. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Next week and the next two weeks, we're going to talk about how to love the church, how to love the church.